Kansas, Rule of Capture, and Failed State. And you can find more about me and my work at ChristopherBrown.com. This is the continuing episode of a series with Christopher Brown, author of Gonzo Lyrely Science Fiction. The series started with episode 152. Recently, you had some, some, some pretty interesting news that Failed State was nominated for a P.K. Dick Award. What do you think captured the interest of the, of the committee? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I was actually on the, on the award jury a couple of years ago, kind of, so got a sense of how those things work, and got an appreciation of the quantity of books that they're reviewing every year. And the quality of, you know, the kind of the like, you know, the top 20%, if you will, of those hundreds of books that come across the judges' uh, desks every year. I like to think that Failed State for them, and they don't provide any notes, but Failed State is the most utopian of my books. It really tries to imagine a group of people trying to build a greener future from the ruins of the of the of the world they broke and it has a kind of breakaway community in new orleans that's trying to carve out a really a different model for how to organize the kind of the political economy and the ecology of the society and the relationship with the natural environment around us but it does through so through the mechanics the narrative mechanics of a lawyer story of a legal thriller and a kind of eco-punk legal utopian legal thriller that's also dystopian so <laughs> and i think writing stories as i did here and in, and in the preceding book rule of capture which featured the same main character that idea of marrying some of the tropes of lawyer stories with science fiction and dystopian literature i think is something that is pretty unique i don't think there's really much out there to compare it with and I think that probably was exciting to them. And then I like to think, you know, that it's a compelling, you know, character-driven story uh, with a, a, a strong literary voice, I hope. And I think that's something that that particular award tends to gravitate towards. Yeah. And and, and you mentioned earlier you, you uh, your style has noir in it, too. And, and, and I tend to notice not all of them, but a lot of them have a noir bend in it as well. So I think that's... Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think you're right. Would you like to do a reading? I'll read from a little bit of Failed State, which has, if you go check out the cover, has this awesome hot pink apocalypse uh, that's also maybe the promise of a better future featuring on the cover in some respects. The, it's one of the, the kind of cover that uh, makes the, the author just hope that the uh, contents inside live up to its promise. <laughs> so I'm going to read a section from the middle of the book that's probably, you know, five to ten minutes that uh, kind of sets up the transition between the two books, Rule of Capture and Failed State. And this is in which 
our hero, Donny Kimo, a lawyer who has uh, who finds himself defending political prisoners after there's been basically a kind of legal coup in the United States, goes to try to help one such political prisoner who is also his girlfriend that he has ticked off. So <laughs> he's ticked off and he's still going to help her. So he's a good boyfriend. Yeah, he's trying. He's always trying to make up for <laughs> things he screwed up. He's that kind of a guy. So failed state, uh, chapter 20. It was a five-hour drive from Houston to Brownsville when Donnie went to save Joyce. Down coastal highways that were getting more coastal every year, especially with the downpours that weird winter was delivering. Donnie headed out crazy early, hated by coffee he brewed the night before, the old-school lawyer's answering service he sometimes used as a wake-up call. His car was driving a little funny since he got it back from the feds who had tried to forfeit it on his last case. So he just drove it harder until the noise of the rain overpowered the noise of the weird knock down in the suspension. Not getting there was not an option. This was right after the coup, when the only things playing on the radio were the FM version of Eagle News Network and the robot tones of the emergency broadcast system giving citizens instructions on how to protect themselves from their neighbors. Donnie was not good at taking instructions from robots or anyone else, not even clients, really. So as he tooled along in his Chinese sedan that had seen better days, he scanned the AM band until he finally picked up one of the Mexican border blasters. This one out of Reynosa, playing some punk-ass corrida that his best Donnie could tell was about the coyotes who helped smuggle Americans out. The chorus recited some kind of Spanglish network code mnemonic you could apparently use to get in contact with the dude's IRL. Donnie sang along, hoping it would stick. He was singing it back into his phone when he saw the first convoy coming the other direction. Troop carriers, maybe 30 of them, and a train of those loudspeaker vans with the LRAD cannons on top. Houston, we have a crowd control problem. Donnie remembered the last time Joyce and he had gone out to Alpine for the long weekend. Not that long before the first time she dumped him. On the last night, they got high and drove through the high desert to the Marfa Lights viewing area. They almost ran over some ghostly-looking animal that Donnie insisted was a chupacabra, and Joyce said was a feral dog. As they sat there listening to spacey music on the station out of Presidio, they argued about the future. The future of America and the future of them as a couple, both of which sounded bleak. Donnie said, I need to take a leak, which was really his way of taking a break from the low-intensity argument. And when he stepped out into the dark, cloudless night, he heard the rumble of a big, heavy train blowing down the tracks on the other side of the highway. He watched it until his eyes adjusted, and he could see what freight it had. Tanks, Humvees, and light artillery painted that new army green that was almost black, headed east, destination unknown. After midnight is when the secret cargo rolls. Not long after the convoy drove by, he saw a school bus loaded with prisoners headed north on the Victoria Bypass maybe to one of the big camps outside of Houston. In a fight between a lawyer and a tank, who would win? As the sun came up over Corpus, you could see the miles of refineries along the coastline and the interceptors running, taking off from the Naval Air Station. It took him 40 minutes to get through the checkpoint there at the I-37 interchange, and when he told them where he was going and why, Donnie could see the guy phoning ahead as he pulled away. When he finally got to Brownsville, he hit the last checkpoint. 
the one no one was supposed to be able to cross, six short blocks from the border and the freedom it represented. Between there were the old warehouses and commercial buildings that had been taken over by the Motherland Guard, one of which, a windowless former Kmart, was where they were holding Joyce. The story was they had a new interrogation technique they were trying out, the Blue Light Special. Joyce had fled the country on the day they seized power. Donnie was supposed to go with her, not as lovers, but as friends. She liked the idea of a lawyer helping her get across. And maybe she wanted more, but she could be hard to pin down on such matters. Donnie had even driven to her place that morning, all packed and ready to go. But by the time he got there, he had changed his mind. Or, more accurately, the world had changed it for him. He had a duty to stay back and fight the regime in court, fight to eke out what justice he could for the regime's enemies and victims. Lawyers in exile are useless. Joyce said you should write a book, a history of how we got here. But Donnie said, first we have to fix the future. That same day, as Joyce went to cross at Brownsville, which she had been told was the safest, Donnie was in court with Miles trying to challenge the president's increasingly brazen use of his emergency powers with the domestic deployment of military forces they called police, but anyone could see were soldiers and private military contractors. She didn't get across. She was detained at the border, even though she had one of the new passports. The things she had written had gotten her on the list, as did some of her friends who had already been detained. Male academics, Donnie later read in one of the memos that cleared the interrogation enhancements, were the easiest subjects to get to rat out their friends. The theories for why that was varied. They had detained her three days before Donnie even got the news, and that he only got because Judge Broyles let him know in confidence probably the day after Broyles signed the order allowing her interrogation to proceed. They had her three weeks before Donnie could get the order for her release. And even then, it wasn't entirely clear her release was due to Donnie's efforts or because they just decided they were done with her. But they said Donnie could come pick her up. Donnie had told her not to try to take her pistol across with her, but Joyce was ornery that way. I'm here to retrieve a prisoner, said Donnie. My client... He handed the guard a business card. You would be surprised how often that works. Wait here, said the guard. And then he stepped out of his kiosk and walked back toward the nearby building. The gate in front of him was a wall of steel on wheels. Some local kids had managed to tag it with a red stencil of an armadillo holding a spray can in one hand and a hammer in the other. A guy in fatigues was on his knees trying to rub the graffiti out with some chemical that required him to wear a respirator. He wasn't having much luck. Standing in front of that guy was a more serious-looking dude in the blue and orange of the guard, waiting for Donnie to give him an excuse to use the South African assault rifle he had slung to his tactical vest. Donnie looked to his right and saw the canine officer walking the perimeter of his car with a dog that was too short for Donnie to see. In the rearview mirror were two more guards, one with the mirror on a stick they used to search the undercarriage for bombs. Behind them was an armored truck that had been pulled up to block Donnie from backing out. Donnie had his arm up on the open driver's side window. He looked that way and noticed for the first time the cluster of cameras and microphones there, right about where the box would be at the drive through of a fast food joint. Hey, do y'all have any breakfast tacos? said Donnie, speaking to the box. The sixth member of the detail attending to his arrival standing there in the kiosk who had been reading whatever was the screen said about Donnie, looked at him with something more confounded than a cop stare. Excuse me? 
No, said Donnie. How about a latte? The guy shook his head in disgust. The dog was right there now, stiffing Donnie's quarter panel at the end of a short leash. It wore a black vest, velcroed with morale patches of urban combat service in Nicaragua, New Orleans, and Nebraska. Its handler was a young white guy with an ugly beard made uglier by his service branch's regulation of its personnel's facial hair. Donnie imagined the actual regulation that existed in a book each of those men had been issued, there with all the other rules ensuring conformity of their grooming and hygiene. What kind of dog is that? asked Donnie. The canine handler just looked at him, then looked back at the dog. What kind of dog are you, Titus? Donnie asked the dog, whose name was also patched on its vest in G.I. Joe letters. Don't talk to the dog, said the handler. Donnie could see it was one of those Doberman pit bull mixes the Secret Service had bred back in the day for its combination of nose and attack aptitudes. That was when the lead guard returned with Donnie's business card still in his hand. He walked up to Donnie and handed the card back. We have no record of that release, and you're not on the list. What list? You can turn your vehicle around and follow Officer Sullivan here to the return path. I'm not going anywhere without my client. I have an order from a federal judge. Did you hear that, Sully? said the guard. He has an order from a federal judge. All right, Burger King, said Donnie. Have it your way. Donnie opened his car door. Stay in the car, said Burger King. Donnie disregarded that order. As soon as his feet touched pavement, the klaxon rang. And almost as soon as he stood up to face the guards, Titus took him down, paws on suit flannel. When he looked up at the fangs and the three gun barrels backing them up, Donnie wondered if this was really the best way to get to talk to customer support. You're filling us in on the uh, the new interesting parts of Texas and the <laughs> the new additions. Yeah, I mean it's trying to. I mean it's a funny. It's a it's a somewhat unique passage in that it's kind of like layering in backstory to the main story of the book, right? <clears throat> and kind of connective tissue between narratives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's trying to uh, paint a scene that takes you there. That's like ties to the things that you're used to seeing, like driving on freeways or if you've ever been to a border crossing. Right. Then the legal tension that exists, like, I mean, when you're in a border crossing, it's like the zone where the Constitution doesn't apply. Right. And we kind of exaggerate it here. It's like, or just like going through airport security, uh, right? I'm not sure it's that exaggerated. Had, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, have Jerry, who it all depends, had one of those? It all depends on whose duty that day or if they like you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, right, the, right. you know, the, like when they have the dogs in your crotch and, you know, sure. just like, I love those. Uh, it's like those dogs they have that all have the vests that say, do not pet. Uh, I don't know. It's just like the kind of the, like, the little details of like true dystopia and kind of authority pageant and trying to have fun with language and like throwing in different things of like the real and the fantastic. And I think what really pulls in that section, what pulls one in is the, is it Titus, the main character? So you're in his life. Donnie Kimo is the main. That's a dog. (laughs) That's probably. (laughs) (laughs) Good name though. Titus is the name of, the actor who plays Bosch. Oh, okay. And the and the adaptations of the Michael Connelly Bosch books, which are also Moyer's books, because they have the the Lincoln lawyer character comes out of there too. But yeah, Donnie Chemo. 
is the main character. It allows one to connect with him and they go, yeah, he sounds like a lawyer. He's working as a lawyer and I'm going to follow him through his through his life in this dystopian situation. That was all cool. I like especially the part where he was talking about he was going to the girlfriend's house to help her out. And then he changed his mind about whether he was leaving with her, I think is what he said. So that was and he had yeah. a very strong principled reason to, to stay. So, yeah, all, all good stuff. man. that's that sounds great. Thank you. Well, I'm Christopher Brown. I'm the author of Tropic of Kansas, Rule of Capture, and Failed State. And you can find more about me and my work at ChristopherBrown.com. However you found sci-fi thoughts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services. If you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review. Even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. We've got goodies in the show notes. So you can just crack open your podcast player and tap on this episode and you will see goodies such as links to Christopher Brown's website. You don't know what show notes are or how to find them? If you're not using a podcast player, just go back to the website where you downloaded this MP3 and there you will see the notes for the show. This is the last episode of the series with Christopher Brown. The first of the series started with episode 155. So if you're like my friend Yanka and you missed the beginning of the series, open up your favorite search engine, type in Lancer Sci-Fi Thoughts Christopher Brown, and you'll find yourself a page that has all of these episodes collected together for easy tapping.